I'll do just a little bit of review here. And then get into it. Before we start, does anybody have any Bible memory verse? Mrs. Livingston. Those will be the verses that we'll be looking at today. Mr. Spear. That he which hath begun. Day of Jesus Christ. Good. Mrs. Spear. All right, some spousal competition there. Ruth. Job. Anybody else? Mrs. Gooder. All right, good. Mm, Pastor. Mrs. Slagle. All right. It's a favorite. Anybody else? All right. I have one trivia question. Can anybody tell me what we were talking about last week? What point number two was that we were talking about last week? Paul's something. Mrs. Spear. Paul's cheerfulness. And I'll throw in another one. What we were talking about the week before that. Paul's, it was, I use weird words, I know. Lexi. Commencement, his beginning, his introduction into the letter. All right. So, Dallas, if you can come and hand out candies. If you give, if you said a trivia question and a verse, you can have two. Some in there. Lots of candy going out this morning. I'll have to refill it. All right, so just a little bit of review while Dallas is handing that out. Uh, that we're in the book of Philippians, if you don't know that. Um, that's my fault. Um, so, book of Philippians, and we're, I, I put this timeline on here for the, uh, for the sake of just being able to visually see what year, uh, what time frame Paul was uh, like what letters he wrote during what time frame that Paul was in his life. And uh, we see that on the first missionary journey, uh, let's see if this thing works, first missionary journey in Antioch, Acts, Acts 13 and 14, 
he wrote the book, he wrote the letter of Galatians. On his second journey, around 51-53 AD, uh, in Acts 16, 17, 18, Acts 16 was the Philippian jailer's conversion. Uh, that was like the first church that was planted on that missionary journey. During that missionary journey, he wrote the letters First and Second Thessalonians. And then he did his third journey uh, in Acts 19 through 21, wrote the Corinthians and Romans. And then also, um, and then finally, when he went to Rome, on house rent, he journeyed to Rome, 59 to 60 A.D. And then from 60 to 67 or whatever, um, he was in Rome under house arrest, and he wrote the books of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Now, First and Second Timothy and Titus were written to Timothy and Titus. So the last, it's very possible that the last book that he wrote to a church was the book of Philippians. And there's very little negativity in the book of Philippians. It's, it's a lot of encouragement, a lot of joy found in on the book of Philippians, and Paul's encouraging them to watch out for false prophets, and we'll see other stuff as we go through it. This was his second missionary journey. He started out from Caesarea and went up to Antioch, then through, and this is where Galatia was, Phrygia, and they kept, they wanted to go veer off this way, but uh, God said no, and then a man of Macedonia said, come on over in a night vision to Paul, so then they crossed the, crossed the channel there. And went from left from Troas and went up to Philippi, and that's where um, they started that that Philippian church. And the Philippian church had quite the interesting start for its church members. They had a former demonic woman that was healed in that church. They had a wealthy woman, a seller of purple, Lydia, in that church, and they also had the Philippian jailer in that church, and possibly other prisoners that were with Paul and Silas when. Um, when God set them free with an earthquake, and they possibly could have gotten saved and been added to the church as well. So quite the variety, and this Philippian church. So we looked at Paul's commitments, commencements, verses 1 and 2, and then last week we looked at verses 3 through 7 and 8. And then this week we'll look at verses 8 through 11, and 8 is kind of the transitionary verse in between last week's lesson, this week's lesson, but the main lesson today will be 9 through 11, and we looked at this last week, but why did I pick verses 9 through 11? Mrs. Livingston. It's one thought, it's one sentence. The sentence ends in verse 8, and the sentence starts in verse 9, and you don't see a period until the end of verse 11. So it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, they, they, they arranged it in verses for the ease of memory, so then you don't want to have super long verses, but at the same time, when you're studying, try to try to get one thought together. Now, this long sentence has, if you count with me, there's one, two, three, three, four thoughts, four sentences within that one sentence, because they're separated by semicolons, and then the last one ends with a period. So I'm, we'll be looking at, I'll break a rule, I won't have three points today, I'll have four points today. Um, so I'm sorry for disappointing you all with that. But, um, so anyways, we looked at Paul's commencement, and then we looked at Paul's cheerfulness last week. Then we're looking at this week, Paul's craving. Now, I regret that I had to use a word like craving because it sounds like, you know, when you have a craving, you're talking about food, something from the inside. But it fits because, number one, it starts with a C, but also because in verse 8, for God is my record 
How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. It's something from within that Paul was yearning for this church. Uh, he was very happy for this church. He loved this church. And uh, we mentioned last week that um, the phrase, I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, that's, that's like saying to somebody, I love you with all my heart. It's, and back then, somebody told me since last week's lesson that back then they believed that the seed of the emotions was in the bowels, not the heart. And that very well could be, and it fits with, the, with his terminology. For God is my record. You know, God has a record up in heaven. And God is my witness that I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And also I wanted to point out this that I didn't point out last week. In the bowels of who? Jesus Christ. You know, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, Paul didn't have any love for these people. It was because of Jesus Christ that he had a longing for them. That he, he could love them. It's because of Jesus Christ that all we are coming together this morning as a church. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, let's get into the lesson. Paul's craving, this I pray. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. First of all, he's praying, we're going to see four prayer requests, four, four things that Paul's praying over this church. He's already told them what I'm thankful for last week. We talked about that. He's confident that God's going to perform the work that he started because they were faithful. And now he's saying, now I'm praying these four things. That your love may abound. So first of all, he's praying for their affection. Verse 9, he's praying for their affection. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Um, I keep hearing over and over again, you know, older people, and, you know, there's, there's a few in here, not a lot, but a few. Um, I don't want to put all of you in the same boat, but, um, but older people, older couples, they will tell you that, that they thought they loved each other at the wedding altar, but it's nothing compared to the love that they now have for each other. Why? Because that love has abounded. It's grown. I thought, you know, I, you know, a month ago yesterday was our wedding. Um, and I thought I loved her then, but I love her a whole lot more even now. And that your love may abound. In a relationship, if your love isn't increasing, what can be said about that relationship? Love that's abounding is true love. Love shouldn't just remain static. Um, if you're not increasing your love, it's decreasing. And that's a good truth when we're talking about love for Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that your love for God may abound. And if you're not increasing your love, it's probably decreasing. How do you increase your love? Well, as a result of knowledge and judgment. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now that sounds a little different. Let's take out more and more, yet more and more. That your love may abound in knowledge and in all judgment. Does that make a little bit more sense? That your love may abound in knowledge and in judgment. What does that mean? Well, was there ever a time, before I get into that, was there ever a time that, that you did more for God than you are doing right now? And I know that you can point to, to age or some things, but there's never an there's never a excuse to just do less. There's always 
something that we should be abounding and increasing our love for God. And, you know, when I think of knowledge, what do you think of knowledge? In knowledge of who? God. God's knowledge. How much are you in love with his knowledge? How much am I in love with his knowledge? We need to be in love with getting more knowledge of God, more of his knowledge. Because any knowledge that God doesn't have isn't worth having. Um, and especially as we learn more about him, then our love is increasing. But our love won't increase if we're not knowing more about him. And how do we know more about him? Where do we go to know more about Jesus Christ? The word, church. So if we're skipping out on the reading our Bibles or church, then is your love abounding? Is my love abounding? You know, um, a, um, we need to be careful that we're not more concerned with what's going on at the church on Monday night more than we are on Sunday night. And I say that because recently we are having a biblical citizenship class at the church on Monday nights. And it's important to know what the Bible says about government. But we need to be careful that we don't value our country more than we do his word. And if all we're doing is wanting to be biblically minded to keep our country lasting longer, you're not in love with his word, you're in love with this country, and you just want to use the Bible as a way to, to keep what we have. And um, I dare say that the reason why we have to have citizen, citizenship classes on Monday night is because people stop going to church on Sunday night. If people were more faithful, if God's people were more faithful to the word, it's possible that we wouldn't be seeing all this stuff today. You know, the Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth might pass away? Shall. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And in Hebrews it says, I'm looking for a better country. And we should do all we can, but the reason why our government was set up the way it was is so then people could get saved. And if that's not our number one goal, to spread the gospel, and we just want to live in comfort for another few years, that's, it's not going to avail to anything. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. It didn't say might not pass away. My words shall not pass away. There's two promises. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. It's going to happen. And there's another promise. His word is not going to pass away. So what are we doing? Is our love for God abounding more and more in knowledge? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it wasn't just a lack of knowledge in politics or whatever child rearing or something, but it's a lack of knowledge of the word of God. Lack of, lack of knowledge in God himself. And if this is our focus, all those other things will come into play. We shouldn't focus on those other things and use this to back it up. In knowledge, but also in judgment. 
God's knowledge on stuff. We need to find out what God knows about everything. And that need, we need to fall in love with that and increase our love more and more. But then we get to judgment. And then we like, oh, what does that mean? Do we love what God loves and do we hate what God hates? Are we in love with his knowledge? But are we also in love with his judgment? Are we in love with his mindset? You know, if you teach, if, if we as a church are teaching you how to do this and this, and you know, if pastors teaching us how to just do things right and to live right, that's good. But if we're just doing that, but then the mindset doesn't follow or the mindset isn't in charge. See, if you're going to last as a Christian, if we're, we're going to last as a Christian, we have to change our mind. We have to repent. That's what repentance is, a change of mind. So we need to claim God's mindset. And when we claim God's mindset, then living right is going to follow. Because so many people live right or change because the pastor said this or, or I'm going to please somebody. But then a couple years later, you see them fall out of church for something else. And it's because they didn't have that mindset. They didn't get it. They weren't transformed by the renewing of their mind. In his judgment, you know, judgment, we, we poo-poo judgment, like don't judge me. And Sam talked about judgment um, in his sermon last week, Sunday morning. But judgment just doesn't just mean condemning. I would, I would, I would dare claim to say that all of us Judge a person as soon as we meet them. Judgment is forming an opinion, forming a judgment. So what is God's judgment on everything? When we form an opinion of something. You know, God's judgment, the Bible says certain things are wrong. That's his judgment. So if we're not aligned, if we don't think that if we don't think that sin is really sin, if we want to call sin shortcomings instead of sin. We want to just say, oh, well, we're, we're growing out of this, or we'll just try our best to do, to do the word of God, instead of saying, no, I'm going to commit myself to do whatever the Bible says. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The Bible says that adultery is wrong. The Bible says that fornication is wrong. The Bible says that drinking is wrong. The Bible says, take care of your body as the temple of God. So are we a fan of his judgment? Are we growing in love with his judgment? Because if we're aligned with his knowledge and his judgment, then we can discern something, some good from evil. Because it's hard nowadays to discern good and evil. Are we receiving knowledge and judgment? And if we're receptive, are we abounding? Because if you're receptive of it, we're going to abound in love. We're going to abound in love. And that's a true relationship. He prayed for their affection. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Semicolon. Next thought. Verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Paul prayed for their affection. Paul prayed for their appraisal. 
that you may approve things that are excellent. Now, I was debating whether or not to use the word approval. But it doesn't just say approval. It says approve things that are excellent. That's more of appraisal. Valuing stuff. That you may approve things that are excellent. You know, there's so much that goes on in our, in our world today that we kind of, you know, clap our hands or something if we see something halfway good. But Paul was praying that the Philippian church would approve things that are excellent. You know, it's kind of like a Christian is in, is in the water and he's just trying to stay afloat versus just getting out of the water. As long as I keep my nose up above water, as long as I just like, you know, stay, stay above sin, don't let it conquer me. You know, this isn't so bad. Instead of just getting out. Approving things that are excellent. Do you condone some things because they aren't sin? Do we condone some things because they aren't sin rather than only approving that which is godly? Good is not the same as godly. Moral is not the same as righteous. Andy Griffith was, was moral. A lot of TV shows were moral, but the problem is they taught morality without God, and you cannot have that. That's not, that doesn't work. So if they, if, if we're going to, if we're going to have a continuance as a Christian, we have to approve things that are excellent. Excellent. Rethink what's really valuable. Turn over to Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be inner virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, we were talking about this in Hope the other night, and it goes with an illustration about staying above water versus just getting out of the water of sin. We are talking about this verse at Hope, how that Christians... We as Christians so many times focus on the wrong thing. We're focusing on not sinning. We're focusing on not sinning. We're focusing on just being good. But to approve the excellent is to not just be focusing on sinning, be focusing on walking with God. And if you walk with God, not sinning is going to take care of itself. It does not say in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, don't think on these things. Whatsoever things are evil, wicked, ungodly. It doesn't give you a whole list of things to not think about. It gives you a whole list of things to think about. And because Paul knows that if we think about those things, we won't be thinking about those other things. That's not, we're not just going to be barely staying afloat as a Christian. We're going to be soaring as an eagle. How many times do we just, oh, well, it's, it's okay. Sometimes God allows stuff to happen, but that just because God allows something to happen doesn't mean that he approved of it. We need to prove the excellent. Rethink was really valuable. Instead of saying, as a Christian, what's the matter with drinking? What's the matter with social drinking? What's the matter with, you know, 
a little bit of, you know, you know, what's the matter with sex before marriage? What's the matter with all of that? Instead of saying all those questions, why aren't we as Christians saying, what's the matter with reading our Bible? Instead of trying to see how close we can get to, to not doing wrong. Instead of saying, let's see how close we can get and still be okay with God. Let's say, what's the matter with coming to Anchor Club and helping out? What's the matter with Sunday night church? What's the matter with any of that? Because those other things that we were asking about, what's the matter with drinking, social drinking, whatever, those are gray. I believe the Bible teaches against it, but those are more gray areas than what's the matter with Bible reading. Duh, Bible reading is, there's nothing the matter with it. Let's focus on what sort of things are true, just, pure. Approving the excellent. And if you're going to approve the excellent, that means you're going to disapprove of everything else. Sin. Okay, friends. We should surround ourselves with godly friends, not just friends who are not, you know, aren't terrible. If we're focused on just doing right all the time instead of focused on not doing wrong, we would have a better life as a Christian not, and be focused on the right things. Paul was praying that their affection, he was praying for their appraisal, that they would only approve that which is excellent. Next phrase, that ye may approve things that are excellent, semicolon, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. He prayed for their authenticity, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. What does that mean, authenticity, being sincere? Just be real, be sincere, be genuine. Who likes something that's not genuine? You know, um, I'll give you a little soul story. I found a, um, I was watching, you know, something on, on, on YouTube, and then uh, something else popped up, an advertisement before, the, before I was actually watching. And it was, this about, it was about this military flashlight. And it sold me. I mean, they, they showed this flashlight to... to you know, you stand it up and turn it on and put a metal bowl on top of it and crack an egg into it, and that flashlight will cook that egg for you. And he was, they were saying that, like, this is a military flashlight, and uh, this guy in the military was so upset that all these, the, the, the nice flashlights that they had were so expensive and not available to the public, so then he went home and invented his own flashlight. And it sold me until I got the flashlight. <laughs> I haven't even tried doing the egg thing because the way it's made, I mean, I don't have much faith in it. It's fake. It's not a military flashlight. I'm afraid that if I dropped it from a foot off the ground, it would crack. So do any of us like anything that's fake? No. We like real. We like people who are genuine. But Paul prayed for that in the Philippian church, that they would be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, genuine. What is our motivation for coming to church? What is our motivation? You know, if, if, we, if, we, come to, if we come to a service because uh, we have a good friend that comes, or if we come because our spouse comes, or if we 
come because Mr. Spear comes or, you know, something like that because he's the exhorter. What is your motivation? Our motivation should be Jesus Christ. If we're sincere, if we're authentic, that means that our only, when you, come, when you probe in deep, the only thing you're going to find is a desire for Jesus Christ in our life. Start living, we need to start living our lives in a certain way because God says to not for any other reason. You know, I'll probably preach a sermon sometime on this, but Achan stole the accursed thing. Achan, it was wrong for Achan to steal the accursed thing, not because it was a Babylonian garment. It makes sense to us. Oh yeah, he shouldn't have stole that. That was Babylonian. He stole it because it was accursed. And who accursed it? God did. It doesn't matter what makes sense to us. It matters what God says. And we need to be, our motivation is only Jesus Christ. What does God say? That's going to be what our follow. The opposite of sincerity is dishonesty. And um, I know maybe some of you are thinking, well, didn't you just preach a sermon recently about Uzzah being sincere and God still struck him down dead? And Uzzah was sincere. And the whole sermon, Josh, that you preached was about that sincerity isn't enough. And now here you're telling us that you need to be sincere. The problem with Uzzah, I didn't, sincerity wasn't enough. Sincerity is good, but it's not enough. Sincerity needs to be coupled with truth. And like this, it doesn't just say sincerity. It says that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. See, Uzzah was sincere, but he did offense. He did offend the Bible. He did offend Jesus Christ. He did offend God. So we need to be sincere and authentic, but if you're really sincere, if you're truly sincere and you, all you want is what Jesus Christ wants for your life, then you cannot neglect the Bible. We cannot neglect the Bible and say, we're sincere though. I have a heart for God, but yet I don't really think it's good to go to church. I don't really think I need to be in church every time the doors are open. I don't think I need to read that. Blameless. Without offense. Will there be, will there be offenses exposed at God's throne? Or worse yet, results of offenses that we did. Not at God's throne. In other words, people who should have been in heaven but aren't because we didn't obey the Bible. We need to live life knowing that nothing will be left covered. Authentic. When it's exposed, is it real? Is it the real deal? He prayed for their affection. He prayed for their appraisal. He prayed for their authenticity. He also prayed for their, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. He also prayed for their abundance. Prayed for their abundance. That they would be fruitful. Filled with the fruits of righteousness. So righteousness, so if it's fruit of righteousness, that means that righteousness produces Righteousness produces fruit. So if there's no fruit, is there any righteousness? If there's no fruit, 
Is there any righteousness? If, and going back to the Bible, how do we find out how to be righteous? From the word of God. Righteousness has fruit. If there's no fruit, is there no righteousness? And filled with the fruits of righteousness. If, if I have a glass of water and I fill it completely up to the top, that glass of water is completely filled. But because it's filled, that means it's empty of everything else. So if we're to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, and Paul was praying that we'd be filled with the fruits of righteousness, that means that we can't have any other fruit. We can't have fruit from our own knowledge. We can't have fruit from our own ambitions, our own talents. Filled with the fruits of righteousness. How full are we? If we're full of Jesus Christ, if we're full of the fruits of righteousness, that means we are empty of everything else. The Bible says in Acts that Stephen was full of faith. He was empty of everything else. God did a wonderful thing with people who are filled. The Bible says filled with the Spirit. Filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by who? Jesus Christ. Unto the glory and praise of God. It's not true righteousness, and you can't get fruits of righteousness if you don't do it through Jesus Christ. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we do, if we don't change our mindset, if we don't change our heart for God, it's not going to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Only way is through Jesus Christ. You know, you can't come to, Jesus, uh, you can't come to church faithfully and serve an anchor club or coaling or whatever you may do. You can't do it faithfully and the way that God wants you to if you don't do it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's power is not going to last. Abundance, fruits of righteousness through Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. If there's a lack of fruit, maybe it's because we're trying to do it all ourselves. We need to give it to God. We need to surrender. You know, I think we, we really like preaching on strength and be strong. But the Bible preaches more on submission and surrender than it does on strength. Maybe that's why it's so hard, we think, to, to please God. It's not hard to please God. It's a changing of the mind. It's a repentance. It's giving it over to God. I know your word says it, and I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And Lord, I need wisdom on how to do it. You know, do something this week. I encourage you to do something this week that you know you need God's help for. Um, there's a verse. I, did, I don't have the reference, but whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So what? Faith in who? Jesus Christ. So what are we as Christians doing that doesn't require faith right now? Because for me, it doesn't require a lot of faith to go to church. Because I've been going to church since before I was born. It doesn't require a lot of faith. So in order for you to always have faith, God wants us to continually be, in, be increasing our faith by exercising our faith. God wants us to completely and continually be increasing and exercising our faith. If something, okay, 
you know, so for instance, God works on my heart about being at Anchor Club, and I need help with those young people, so I go to Anchor Club, and then I've got that down. Now it's in my routine. I've, I've come, I haven't missed a week this year. I've, I've, you know, I've missed one week this year. And you're doing that. Now, when you got that done, now, that doesn't require much faith, because you've got it done. So now God says, okay, I want you to do something else. You know that, that raise that you got? I want you to devote all that raise to me. Lord, but that's faith. But whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So encourage ourselves this week and continually that we're not just doing what we do out of habit. We are continually increasing our faith in Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruits of righteousness by relying on Jesus Christ. God ultimately is the one that craves change in your life. He's the one that's going to help you if you let him. The question of the week, are we praying for growth in our own lives? Because it was Paul's craving. It was Paul's prayer request. But why? Why would you tell somebody else what you're praying for them in their life? Why would Paul tell the Philippian church, hey, this is what I'm praying for in your life? I would venture to guess that it's because Paul wanted them to pray for that in their own lives. And are we praying for growth in our own life less than somebody else is praying for growth in our life? Do we desire growth? Do we desire to, to, that our love may abound, that we approve the excellent, that we be sincere without offense? Do we pray that we'll be filled with fruits of righteousness through Jesus Christ, relying on him in abundance? God ultimately is the one that craves change in your life. And he wants, if you have that mindset like we were talking about, then if God wants change in your life, then because we have his mindset, we're going to want that change just as much as he does. And our prayers, our prayer life won't be consumed with health, wealth, and prosperity. It'll be consumed with, Lord, I want my love to abound. I want your mindset. I want my affection to be changed. I want my appraisal to be that one excellent. I want to be authentic, true blue. And I want to be abundant. Lord, help me obey your word. When I see something, help me surrender to it. That's Paul's craving. And we'll, next week we'll look at verses 12 and the following. But that's, that's the third lesson, Paul's craving. And I appreciate you guys coming and listening to that. I hope it was a blessing to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this lesson in Philippians I pray, Lord, that we would be um, desiring growth in our own lives. That we would be re repentant and changing our affection that may abound. Having your mindset and being surrendered to you. I pray, Lord, that you bless the remainder of the services today, Lord. Um, that hearts and lives would be changed as a result of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.